Fake news. Don't look now, but I've got a notion. That big scaly dude's a Trandoshan. I hear they eat Wookiees, like they're Girl Scout cookies. Keep walking. Don't make a commotion. The Trandoshan Anti-Defamation League would like it known that while sworn enemies of the vile Wookiees, the Trandoshan people do not, in fact, eat them. On Lent, or without appropriate condiments. Thank you. Stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I am your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. Don't forget that you can find us on the web at www.tsgpodcast.com and at facebook.com slash tsgpodcast. Also, you can find us on uh, Instagram, rather, at the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Finally, you can find us on Twitter at tsg underscore pod. Now, in this month's show, I'd like to talk a little bit about the future of the Sleeping Giant Podcast as well as... Uh, I don't know, the future of my fandom and maybe what that means to me. I may also like to touch on how I perceive fandom in general these days, but we'll see. Most important, though, we are going to feature a conversation held between Mr. Curtis Smith and me. Curtis is the creator, owner, and operator of Star Wars Poetry, which you can find on all the major social media platforms. Curtis has been gracing fans of both Star Wars and poetry with various Star Wars-themed limericks and haikus since August of last year, and he had a lot of very insightful and interesting things to share with us. So, I certainly hope you enjoy Mr. Smith's wit as much as I did. In the meantime, y'all get comfy. We are about to begin. Alright, so at the risk of delving back into a subject that I feel has been exhausted to the point of lunacy, I want to talk about my perception of fandom now, such as it is. In some ways, I think that the idea of fandom is pretty self-explanatory and needs no real elucidation. I do suppose, though, that there are levels and degrees of appreciating something, as you'll hear Curtis and I discuss in just a bit. Having said that, I can only express my perception of fandom on who and what I choose to surround myself with on social media, as well as the opinions and expressions of close friends and family. As such, most of us are impassioned and opinionated, and we feel very strongly about the fandom that we embrace to an incredible degree. Stated another way, most of the input I receive comes from extreme fans, I, I would venture to say, and 
and those of us who take our fandom far beyond what a lot of people would likely consider a casual level. I, I don't know. But uh, what I do know is that a lot of us tend to take what is near and dear to us and sort of create for ourselves an exclusive narrative for these institutions. Another word I've heard for this is headcanon, which is just an awesome term as far as I'm concerned. And uh, sometimes we become very attached to that narrative that we create. I think that most of us are generally respectful and responsible enough when it comes to stories and films that don't pan out quite the way that we thought they would. However, there are a remarkable number of people that seem to be unable to distinguish personal disappointment with aspects of a story or film from a genuine critical analysis, be it in favor of or against the quality of a story. In an interesting coincidence, I recently read an article about the possible influence of what psychologists call the Dunning-Kruger effect upon our nation's political climate and, um, and how that particular cognitive bias may help explain the continued support for the fucking clown of a commander-in-chief we are all currently enduring. This is particularly relevant to fandom and critical reception because the psychological phenomenon in question describes a behavior of assuming one's knowledge or ability to be greater than it is. And uh, in the case of Trump supporters, one could actually argue that perhaps this particular effect is synergized by polarization and partisan tendencies. And I don't think at all that it is a stretch to suggest that fandom is an extremely polarized thing. If you take something like, say, the DCEU versus the MCU, or perhaps people who are pro The Last Jedi or not for it, you certainly have your division, your partisans, and your divided tribes. At this point, it's important for me to make it crystal clear that I am aware that I operate under the same basic psychological parameters that we all do, and I have demonstrated innumerable cognitive biases in my attitudes and behaviors over the years. However, I think it is important to develop the necessary metacognition to be able to stop, to pause your reactionary thought process and say, hey, man, how, how do I really feel about this? How, what is actually happening here, and what are my actual thoughts and feelings on it? Um, at, at any rate, with the advent of social media and the rate at which we can just heap our unsolicited opinions upon the world, it shouldn't be a surprise. I reckon that fandom has become somewhat of a dumpster fire. Um, all these festering opinion pieces and vitriolic diatribes are likely flammable. And uh, hey, <laughs> you know, all, all it takes is, is the match, right? Still, I like to think that I'm generally above sinking to that level or being what I would consider quote-unquote part of the problem. Be that as it may, I have really come to feel that people I consider to be part of my camp, so to speak, or even that's become a bit too tribal for my, my personal comfort. As someone who considers himself to be uh, an armchair journalist at best, I find that I find that sort of judgment to be uh, stifling 
and uncomfortable. And um, I've sort of started to feel like no opinion is safe to voice without drawing fire from extremists from either side. Now, look, I know having an opinion is one thing and publishing it for public consumption is quite another altogether. I get that. And I get that one should expect a certain level of criticism. Still, I feel as if more and more of of, of the the clapback, as it were, is, is baseless and asinine and... It really just sort of takes all the fun out of being an outspoken fan. So much so that I have almost, uh, like far better podcasters than me, um, I've, I have come close to hanging up the headphones and just saying, fuck it. Um, ultimately, I've decided not to do that. I have put a lot of effort into this, and I've also received a lot of positive and encouraging support, and I am far from ready to to give this whole thing up and i made a lot of changes to the way that i would like to do things though and some of you may have noticed a distinct lack of social media presence uh, especially on instagram it you know i've i've come to realize that it really takes up a lot of time and um and i'm tired of battling for recognition so i'm going to try a new approach and and alter the content that I'm putting out and to try to take a little bit more control over that um, so that it's done more or less on a schedule. I'm not constantly scrambling to get stuff up. So, you know, uh, more regular, more quality content is kind of what I'm going for um, here. But uh, I'm trying to determine the best way to go forward and and uh, how that will impact my social media persona and the content there. Um the important takeaway from all this, though, is that, uh, and this, I guess, is really what I was trying to say, that uh, it's it's very much okay to not like something. And honestly, you don't even need a reason to not like something. But on the other hand, if you desire to express your opinions, do be prepared to share your reasons, uh, to share your research, uh, if that's applicable. And, and be prepared to do so without diminishing the feelings and opinions of others. Um, that, that's really the big one here. Na- uh, Nazis naturally don't apply when it comes to um, you know, the tenets of, of basic courtesy. Clearly, uh, they have no place in, on the fucking conversation or the platform, so we need to shut that shit down. Uh, that's, that's pretty much my only uh, proviso, as it were, um, regarding decency and, and consideration for other people. Nazis need not apply. Uh, anyway, thanks for sticking around uh, through that rant. Let's move on, shall we? All right, it's time to move into the guest segment of this show. Try to lighten things up a little bit. As previously mentioned, I will be sharing with you a very thoughtful and good-natured conversation I had with Mr. Curtis Smith of Star Wars Poetry. As you've likely surmised, that was the voice of Star Wars poetry itself that you heard at the beginning of this month's show. Let's see now what else Curtis had to say. Curtis, you there? I am. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for being here and welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to it. As as have I. So for those of you who are unaware, uh, 
Curtis is the owner and proprietor of Star Wars Poetry. Some of you may have seen his work on Instagram and Twitter already. Perhaps you're already following him. Uh, so, uh, Curtis, what's what's going on, man? Uh, not too much. Uh, I managed to uh, get the family out of the house this morning so <laughs> I could have a uh, quiet moment to uh, talk with you to, without doors slamming and dogs barking in the background. Yep, I, I can relate to that. I, you know, it's uh, convenient in that the girls were going to a birthday party today, so I've got a little bit, uh, little bit of quiet time myself, which I'm very grateful for. Although I will say that they are always very accommodating uh, to my recording schedule, so I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful for that. Um, so, you know, I've been following you on Instagram for a while. I think that's where I first saw you because of the unique way that you present the poems that you post. So if you don't mind, could you just sort of tell us how you came up with the idea for the official Star Wars poetry account? And, uh, you know, what, what was the genesis of, of that project? Sure. So uh, I originally was on Instagram, like most people, I think, just with a personal account and uh, posting uh, pictures of uh, events I did with the uh, 501st Legion and uh, a little bit of artwork. And uh, I have a, a hobby of uh, uh, taking uh, instant photos with uh, sort of retro style cameras. And so uh, I was posting a lot uh of those up as well but doing nothing uh with star wars outside of that and or poetry and uh you know i have a lot of i'm a creative person and uh i have retired from a career in veterinary medicine and so uh i have a little bit more free time and a lot of uh directions that i funnel that creativity into from painting and drawing to, uh, you know, now uh, cosplay and, and poetry, et cetera. But I'm always doing something, uh, tabletop gaming, you know, what have you. Uh, and sure. uh, I uh, uh, just sort of came on it uh, serendipitously. So uh, the family was uh, taking a, a short vacation to Washington, D.C. to see the sites and uh, we uh, happened upon a uh, used bookstore uh, off DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. called Second Story Books. And I went in and uh, kind of happened on a uh, an anthology of uh, popular poetry. And uh, it, it sparked a little memory uh, in me of my youth when uh, it used to be a little more common for people to have uh poetry books around and you know I grew up in a family where I had a father who uh, wrote a little bit of poetry from time to time usually sort of humorous poetry about a family pet or something and uh, so it seemed very natural <laughs> to me growing up you know I got a little poetry in school as most people do I memorized uh, Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky in high school for uh, an assignment and still remember it word for word to this day. And so <laughs> I something about about just going over and over and over something at that age in your life. It just locked in where, you know, probably much more important things I can't remember these days. Uh, and so 
we went into this used bookstore. We like to visit bookstores when we travel around and uh, and used bookstores in particular because they seem to have, you know, their own individual character. And so I found this book and I thought, oh, I'll buy this and started leafing through it and really started uh, uh, noticing some of the more humorous poetry. Uh, there were a few poems in there by Ogden Nash, and that sort of sparked my interest. And uh, I, I ordered up a Ogden Nash treasury of uh, sort of uh, hits and started reading that. And it really struck me how his poetry was not only humorous, but often very short. And on social media, uh, you know, being succinct uh, in the format, like on Instagram, you got a square, you know, people are glancing at your uh, your post uh, only for a few seconds often as they page past. And so you've, you've got a very short window of opportunity to catch someone's attention or to, right. for them to be able to read your thing. And so, you know, it all started kind of coming together a little. I started thinking, oh, I'm you know, this might be fun to do, you know, short, humorous poems. I think like Ogden Nash's most famous poem was uh, Candy is Dandy, but Liquor is Quicker. You know, so <laughs> boom, Indeed. his entire yeah. career, his most famous poem, you know, uh, I liked one uh, from the Treasury uh, called Reflections on Ingenuity. Here's a good rule of thumb. Too clever is dumb. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I started thinking this is a good idea, humorous, right. uh, short form poetry. And so someone can go <laughs> like, and move on, you know? <laughs> right. uh, and so, right. uh, anyway, so, and, and originally I had the idea of just writing, uh, humorous poetry in general, uh, which, you know, that's a pretty broad, uh, field, uh, pretty easy to just pick any old thing and write humorous poetry about it. But uh, I think on a lot of social media platforms, Instagram in particular, that what really lands with people more often is a focused uh, page that they know they can sure. get something very specific from. And so uh, I was already very involved, uh, I thought, at the time uh, with Star Wars related stuff, doing the cosplay with the 501st, etc. And so I thought, well, I'm going to focus this within the first week or two. I thought I'm going to retool and focus this in on Star Wars uh, because there is a built-in audience. There is a massive amount of material from which to draw uh, ironic or poignant or humorous situations, you know, that can be highlighted. And so, uh, and it's something that I love and am interested in. And uh, so, you know, I went that direction. I was really being able to get the name uh, at Star Wars Poetry uh, on Facebook and Instagram and at Star Wars Poet on Twitter was, you know, a big uh, deal, too. Oh, it yeah. was, I was really um, surprised uh, that when I started exploring it, it was really to a great degree uh, an unexplored uh, niche. You know, finding a sure. a niche that is unexploited in today's day and age is like finding buried <laughs> yeah. treasure. You know, uh, and so at this point, I have uh, written and posted over a hundred original works of Star Wars poetry, and uh, I like to bill myself as the galaxy's preeminent Star Wars poet. 
Uh, so <laughs> I'd say, yeah, you you certainly got the the advantage. And I, I find it I find it amazing actually that those are sort of unplumbed depths as it were that so that was very lucky i know i've struggled myself with syncing up titles and, and names so, so right you. right and so well i uh, i was originally just taking uh screen grabs from the movies uh and laying the poems over the scene that i would crop down uh from the movie and uh i did that for i don't know a month or month and a half and then uh, just really out of the blue, uh, a very creative and generous guy uh, that you may be familiar with, uh, at Danny Kidwell, the, uh, he, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. he, he I'm contacted very familiar. me. Yeah, right. So uh, a, a guy, uh, you know, talented in a lot of artistic ways. And so he, he contacted me uh, on Instagram and said, hey, you should... Uh, you should think about pairing, uh, you know, your poems with some of this uh, artwork that these this pool of very talented uh, artists who uh, create sketch cards for uh, tops are are doing. And, you know, I will admit a little uh, shamefacedly that uh, I, I was unaware that there w even was such a thing as Star Wars trading cards. <laughs> and so sure. Wow. Star, Star Wars is a, you know, it's a broad playing field and there's stuff going on in every sure. direction. And that just wasn't on my radar screen. And, you know, uh, he sort of uh, got me to explore that a little bit. And uh, I didn't even know really that I was talking to someone who, who was creating Star Wars art at the time that he first contacted me. And so uh, anyway, I got my head in the game pretty quick and, and he offered to share uh, through his connections the idea that uh, I was looking for um, artwork to pair with some poem topics that I had created. I wrote out a list of like 10 or 12 topics I wanted to write poems on. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he put those out there to the community and very quickly uh, I got uh, some responses back from some very generous people who were uh, interested in sharing artwork that I might pair with poems. I think the, the very first response uh, came back from uh, Truffle Shuffle Designs uh, over in England, and she, uh, she responded very quickly. I don't know if it was 10 or 15 minutes after I said, yeah, go ahead and send the word out. And uh, yeah. I got uh, a, a heads up from her that she had a piece that she uh, would be willing to uh, share with me. And so uh, I, uh, I found over time that as I was building up this uh, pool of uh, artists that I uh, work with, that there were there was a patch after that initial period where I was sort of cold calling artists that had art that I thought would fit with a poem that I had already written and saying, Hey, I'm, you know, uh, at star Wars poetry, I do short form, usually humorous poetry. Right. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to, uh, pair this with artwork and you've done a few pieces that I think, you know, would work good. And, you know, this is how we do, we co-promote each other and, uh, you know, and what do you think? You know, that's a little awkward. Uh, and there were a few times that people very nicely, I have not dealt with a single person who wasn't very nice, I will say, but a few times people have, uh, politely declined. Uh, but, it, I will say it is much easier going these days, uh, you know, than 
uh, it was at the sure. start. Sure, now you've and got so, your foot in the door. Right. Now, you know, I'm working with uh, 23, 24 artists, uh, you know, all amazingly uh, talented in in their own styles. And now I actually will um, draw from the artwork. Usually I'll go and see, well, what's what is the this person turned out lately? Anything new? And I'll spot something that, oh, I haven't done a poem on that character or uh, that's a that's a situation that I haven't exploited for its irony or uh, or what have you. <laughs> and uh, I will uh, I'll take a quick screen grab of that that uh, post, that card usually. Uh, a few of the artists are, are not doing sketch card art at the moment, but still producing some Star Wars art. And so uh, and then I will uh, work up a poem to go with the art, whereas originally uh. I was writing a poem and then trying to find art to go with it. And that is much more labor intensive, I have found. Um, now I'm running three different pages on you know Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and it is uh, sure. it is a chunk of my day every day plus producing new content and uh interacting with people online and so anyway it's a regular job uh especially for something that i make no no money off of in fact the opposite i spend money <laughs> to yeah. uh to be able to do this and so uh i i tell people you know the only payback i really get is uh, is people liking and interacting with the poetry and sharing. And, you know, the more eyes I get on it, uh, you know, the more rewarded I am for the effort I'm putting in. And so yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, I'm uh, spending time uh, uh, with audiences like this, uh, trying to make sure uh, people are aware. From my perspective, the second you know there's an account out there that posts a unique original Star Wars poetry paired with uh, original sketch card art in every post every weekday. Um, you know, it's game over. You should be all over that, you know, uh, following right. a page like that. Who doesn't want more of that in their feed? You know, uh, uh, you're probably getting enough uh, repetitive Star yeah. Wars memes, memes no, in your feed, you know, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. I try to be. Yeah, I, I try to be very careful about that. I I don't want to be rude, especially when it comes to the podcast and, and the the account that I have associated with it. But you know, I do get a lot of those uh, follows, and I know it's generally polite to follow back. But you know, after about the 60th Star Wars meme account, I'm I am a little discriminating. I'm like, you know, I I do need originality. I, I would like a little bit more creativity. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited about Star Wars poetry, because it was exactly that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, my account is helped a ton by the fact that uh, the majority of poetry on Instagram uh, is uh, plain verse uh, and usually about uh, someone's breakup or heartache. Uh, oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, because I follow a lot of poetry accounts, you know, that's a lot of what sure, I yeah. feed. And so, uh, you know, if I, uh, that being the case, when I uh, tell somebody, oh, I have a poetry account on Instagram, you know, do Star Wars poetry, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, the stage has already been set by hundreds of other poetry accounts. Sure. Uh, and, uh, 
the response, the gut response is often, oh, thanks a lot for that information. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually interesting that you mentioned that. I would expect that you would be involved with other poets and other poetry accounts as, you know, uh, Star Wars poetry. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. I noticed that in, in reading what you've posted, especially lately, um, you seem to have, have and, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm not... Uh, on the up and up in all of my terminology, it's been a long time, but uh, you seem to be very involved with the anapestic tetrameter, which was, uh, which I believe we had discussed previously, um, is the format or meter that, that uh, was very popular with Dr. Seuss. And can you give us a little insight into how you sort of settled into that or does it happen naturally? What's the process? Yeah, well, so uh, maybe uh, easier to uh, start with the uh, an example of the simpler form and then uh, show how that progressed, uh, because I do now, uh, I used to say I do two forms of poetry on the page. Uh, and the very first that I came in thinking, I'm just going to do this, is haiku. Uh, haiku very uh, formulaic in that uh, it's only three lines long and it's very set. It's five syllables, not five words, five syllables. The second line is seven syllables and the third line is five syllables. And so, uh, you know, sometimes one word is five syllables. <laughs> and exactly. So uh, you have to be very targeted in what you do, especially because the poems that I create usually turn as traditional haiku does in the last line uh, and create a, a new perspective on what you thought you were reading. And so um, I will give an example. Uh, I did a, po a poem uh, called Tauntaun. And usually my poems aren't quite so literal in the in the title. I tend to use the title as another way of putting over the irony or the quirky perspective or what have you that I'm trying to present. Uh, but uh, some of my um, haikus are a little more literal. And so this one is called Tauntaun. And the post, if someone were to go to the page on Instagram at Star Wars Poetry, yeah, and look at it, uh, <laughs> is an is a incredible piece of artwork by uh, you know, an artist that I esteem a lot. Uh, That's at, actually my at, wife. I, I am well aware. <laughs> at Maggie underscore ransom. Uh, and so uh, anyway, she did this Tauntaun uh, art that I really liked. Uh, she has a way of working a little bit more color into the art than uh, some other styles uh, do. And I really like that for my uh, posts a lot of times because I work in a kind of set format. I try and keep everything very uniform. Uh, some of that is skills I've learned from some of the other artists uh, that uh, I follow and, and use. And so everybody approaches their page a little different, but there are some that are very regimented and professional about it. And so uh, I always use a black field and I do my poetry in white next to the artwork, uh, usually at a cant. And so Anyway, the more colorful artwork uh, plays well in that, and, and Maggie does that a lot of times. And so, uh, anyway, so this uh, Tauntaun uh, piece of artwork from Maggie, and then the haiku is Tauntaun. 
you got voluntold, gross Skywalker sleeping bag, galaxy's savior. And so that's an example of haiku. I don't read them on shows that often because I like to use the hashtagging and the picture and the title and the caption and the words of the poem all to put over whatever it is I'm trying to do. But that's a good example of a poem that sort of turns in the final line where uh, instead of just being this, uh, this grotesque uh, way of uh, staying warm, uh, we're stepping back and recognizing that if Luke had not been kept warm in that scenario, there would not have been a Luke Skywalker to then exactly. save us from the Emperor. Uh, and so rec recogni recognizing the Tauntaun as uh, Galaxy Savior is an example of turning uh, the poem, looking at it from a different perspective in the final line of a 17-syllable poem. And so uh, usually, no matter what poem I'm writing, I'm starting with the hook. I'm thinking about something that we're familiar with from a different perspective, uh, or I'm uh, highlighting the emotion of a scene or the drama, the uh, humor or the irony. And so I've got that last line, at least what should happen in that last line in my mind before I start the poem. Uh, in most cases, uh, you know, I'm looking at something we all know and then twisting it 90 degrees and looking at it from a, a quirky perspective. I, I really appreciate that. And and as you know, Star Wars seems to be, at least one of the themes of Star Wars seems to be your point of view and how that can affect the narrative or your beliefs or your actions. So I really appreciate it. And, and as I've told you, uh, haiku, I think, is my, it may not be my favorite uh, method of writing a poem, but as far as your poems are concerned, the haikus are definitely my favorite. I certainly understand that when you read them aloud, the cadence is not necessarily there. And sometimes the, the, the meaning or the, uh, the emotion or inflection that you intended might not carry over for that reason, but they are personally my favorite. And I just wanted to tell you that, um, because I really appreciate them and uh, I enjoy them quite a bit. So I hope you don't stop writing haikus. Oh no, um, I, I won't. They're the, they're my format of choice. If I'm doing a topic that I uh, have less encyclopedic knowledge on, because I can go and research enough to uh, write a haiku uh, without needing uh, to do just hours and hours uh, of research, even if it's a topic that prior to that I didn't, know very much about and so uh so the second form of poetry that i do is a uh, limerick and i started doing this not too long after i started the account i was writing haiku originally and then i i felt the need to do something a little bit longer because uh, some of the things i wanted to say just i couldn't fit them into 17 syllables and so i was looking for another format and I, I like Limerick. Most people have some familiarity with Limerick, whether they realize it or not, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, also, most Limericks are by nature uh, humorous. 
uh, although I, I write some uh, that focus more on irony or drama, uh, etc. But uh, but in general, when you read a limerick, you're already sort of uh, mentally smiling, I think. And so that helps with the humor in most of these poems. And so uh, the it's a little bit longer format. It's five lines. And uh, the first three uh, or actually the the first, second and last line rhyme and then the lines three and four rhyme with each other. And so you have two sets of rhymes, uh, sort of lines one, two and five, and then uh, a second set of rhymes, lines three and four. And for me, uh, again, I usually start with kind of thinking about what that last line is going to be, where I'm going to kind of bring it home on uh, whatever it is, the reason for writing the poem. And then I work backwards <laughs> from there to get the first two lines. And then the middle two seem to come uh, pretty quickly and easily in most cases. And so this uh, example I'm going to give, uh, again, uh, an unusually literal title for my poems is called Crystal Foxes. And uh, this poem also happens to feature a, uh, a awesome uh, piece of original sketch artwork uh, by uh, at Maggie underscore ransom. And so uh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> crystal foxes, uh, my fur tinkles and chimes like a belfry. If you want to escape, follow me. Well, you used to love Porg. Now it's time to reorg. You might think that I'm mad. I'm just salty. Excellent. So <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I like I, I like almost all of them, but yeah, I like that one uh, in in particular. And uh, I uh, I chuckle every time I read that last line. Uh, I I had a little bit of hesitation when writing it because I wasn't sure if the terminology uh, salty for disgruntled uh, or uh, uh, upset with the situation. But in this case, a play on words because, of course, uh, the planet uh, was a salt planet and these right. crystal foxes were actually covered in salt crystals. And so, uh, anyway, the uh, I thought it was especially clever. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I definitely started with the last line. And work backward in that case. This is another example of a sort of clear, kind of almost monochrome uh, creature that uh, uh, Maggie has uh, created a very colorful, almost rainbow uh, impression of uh, in the artwork. And so uh, anyway, that's why I chose that particular uh, sketch card to go with the poem. Originally, when I wrote that poem, I did it, use a screen grab on it, and I went back when I re uh, when I was reposting. So that's something that I do. Uh, I work in series of poems. I'll write sometimes twenty or thirty new poems, and then I'll take a break uh, to recharge the creative batteries and sure. uh, get a little rest from it. And and I will go back and repost uh, poems that have previously been up on the page since these are all my original work. And since they've only ever been up once or twice, you know, it doesn't feel as, uh, uh, chewed over as uh. like a meme that we've seen a hundred times. And so, and a lot of people, I'm fortunate that a lot of people are, uh, following the page every day and it's growing, uh, all the time. And so for a lot of people, they're not going to go back when they follow the page and, 
read a hundred previous poems. And so nice. for many people, they're seeing it for the first time. Uh, and if they're not, then it has maybe been six months since they saw that poem. And so uh, I don't think anybody begrudges uh, the occasional repost. Not, not, a, not at all. <laughs> you mentioned so, your, your process of, of writing uh, a batch of poems, say, at a time and then recharging. I'm always interested in how people work. And how would you say or how long would you say it takes generally to write a single poem? And are you often taking it apart and putting it back together before you get the final poem? Uh, I'm not often on the revision. Sometimes what happens is when I go from the written poem to creating the post, uh, I will realize that a uh, the meter isn't quite right, and I will make a very small change to it to try and uh, create a, a easier meter. And especially now that I'm uh, reading them out loud to a lot of people in a, a lot of different situations, uh, I, I think a little bit more about how will this flow when it's read out loud? Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I test that. But uh, in general, these days, my process is almost exclusively to write them while I'm walking. And so I do some walking uh, around my neighborhood uh, on a regular basis. And it's about normal walks, about three miles. And so mm -hmm. I carry a little uh, notebook with me all the time, 24-7, and uh, in case I get an idea uh, for something, an inspiration, uh, a title, uh, an idea for something that would be a good hook for a poem, but maybe not write the whole poem. And I just jot the stuff down. And if anybody is doing anything creative and they're not doing this, anything creative and they're not doing this, I highly recommend it because <laughs> yeah. uh, an amazing every time I think, Oh, I'll re that's that's really good, and that's obvious, and I'll remember this later. You will not. <laughs> I can't remember it later, and sometimes I'll think of yeah. something when I'm falling asleep, and I'll think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember that in the morning, and then I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot. Can't yeah. remember at all what that was, uh, and yeah, so absolutely right. you've got to get it down right when you think of it, and so I keep this notebook, and I'll usually go out on a walk, and I'll have a couple of topics uh, based on uh, having a couple of pieces of artwork in mind for that particular walk. Otherwise, I just have too many pieces of art that I've grabbed thinking, oh, I might write on, and it just becomes, uh, you know, overwhelming. So I'll zero sure. in on one or two pieces, and I'll think, okay, I'm going to write something for this piece or that, and I'll go out and start walking. And you know, it just doesn't take a lot of mental energy to walk around your neighborhood. And so uh, my mind is sort of turning over uh, the ideas and looking for rhymes and things. And so occasionally I'll pull out my phone and pull up a, a rhyming uh, app, you know, to, to try to find a, a word I like that might fit into a rhyme with the, the original hook that I have. And, and, but I'm just thinking and walking and thinking and walking and then I'll get it all worked out of my head and then I'll stop and stand by the side of the road and write the poem down in my notebook uh, before I forget it. And then, uh, and then I'll start walking again. And often, you know, depending on whether I'm writing haiku or uh, limerick or 
how difficult I'm finding the topic or a particular rhyme to be, you know, I might write one poem on a walk, you know, that takes three miles to walk it, or I might write three uh, poems in a three mile walk, you know, to, uh, I usually don't write them faster than about a mile a poem, but, uh, but sometimes I do write that quickly. And so that's impressive. No, yeah. <laughs> well, I will say <laughs> I am certainly not fast. Um, so you had sort of mentioned earlier in the conversation that one of the reasons you had chosen Star Wars uh, was because of your pre-existing relationship, uh, excuse me, your pre-existing relationship to it and the breadth of, and, and I should say wealth of, um, of thematic elements and humorous elements. Are there any elements of Star Wars that you've spent time thinking about or writing about uh, that aren't necessarily humorous or maybe take a, a more, um, how should I say this, a, a, a more mature emotional tone or, or are you ever trying to express anything that you've been frustrated with or, or thought about extensively? Yeah. And so, uh, there are certainly poems that focus on, uh, less humorous, uh, things about uh, the saga, uh, you know, the things I tend to like in the saga are things that are dramatic or things that are funny. And so when I think about, you know, things that I like most from the different movies, it's usually either something that was funny or something that was uh, dramatic. But yes, I, I because of the world we live in and uh, the state of social media today, I try to avoid uh, being too meta with my topics, commenting too directly on Star Wars as it relates to us in our modern world and stay more in-universe, but occasionally the humor or sarcasm in a poem will, uh, will look at the saga from our modern perspective as opposed to from an in-galaxy perspective. And so... Do you have any uh, examples? Yeah, sure. Uh, Anything in mind? uh, Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, And uh, don't don't let me forget uh, that I want to give you an example of Anapestic Tetrameter uh, a, a little bit uh, later, because I, 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 I did not uh, complete that thought. But uh, um, anyway, I wrote this one uh, about uh, uh, Padme Newberry, our uh, Queen Amidala, uh, the uh, character, because I in the prequels, I found that character uh, very uh, unique and and. Uh, very compelling and, you know, a great example of a strong woman and, uh, and it continues to be, uh, presented that way in, uh, Star Wars canon to this oh, day. Yeah. In fact, we've had a recent push forward, uh, with the book Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston. And so, uh, she's very she much was amazing in the show also. Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They really, the thing about these animated series is the people who are skipping these, uh, you know, there is, many 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 times the amount of hours of canon uh 
in the series than there yes. are in the movies. You know, you are missing out. <laughs> you're you you are literally skipping over ninety percent of what is officially considered by Lucasfilms and Disney to be part <laughs> of uh, what is officially Star Wars. And so, uh, you know, so much happens, and Star Wars does most of its pushing forward of the boundaries of uh kind of what we've seen in the movies in the animated shows uh you know they're much more um politically uh uh, forward thinking uh in their animated series is a lot of times than in the movies and so anyway uh i was thinking about this character in particular i'd recently read the book uh and i really read the book uh to research this poem. I wanted to write this poem and I wanted to make sure that nothing that was said in the book would alter what I wrote in this poem. And so there's an example of research, man. I read an entire book (laughs) in in order to make sure I wasn't contradicting anything in canon when I wrote this uh, poem. And so uh, anyway, the poem is called, uh, the poem is focused primarily on the way uh, Padme's death was handled uh, in the prequels. And so uh, a lot of people, I think, maybe were dissatisfied with that. And and so much so that uh, there has been enough of an alternative theory built up around what actually happened that isn't actually canon that a great number of people who are big Star Wars fans and pretty deep into all the facts and details think that this theory is what actually happened and and, and sure. not not what actually happened in the movie and so they've they've engineered it in their mind to the point that they believe in this alternative theory to such a degree that they actually think that 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 is canon uh and so uh so i understand their discontent uh and the poem is called seriously and it is paired with just a very lush beautiful piece of artwork from uh at Chris underscore Penix uh, underscore art. So Chris is super talented guy. He's getting a lot of attention right now for his series that uh, Topps is doing of cards uh, with his artwork uh, in living card uh, series. Yep. The living. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, I just opened the last one that I received in the mail and they are beautiful. There you go. So this is uh, a card of uh, uh, Padme in sort of this velvety green hooded outfit. And so, Uh, And the poem is called Seriously, a woman so strong, it it still makes me mad that a character like this would just die of the sad. I strive for even handed and to never seem mean, but it takes a man on a deadline to write that death scene. Oh, (laughs) I would say, or or maybe somebody that's not as invested in his character as perhaps he should be. Right. Um, Well, what what is it that struck you about that? Well, so it just seems so counterproductive uh, and so counterintuitive to to this character who, you know, is – the strongest uh, image we have of a woman in the entire prequel series to um, sort of die of a broken heart when her children she's just given birth to uh, are there. If you, if anyone has something to live for, you know, uh, it's Padme. And so, uh, so 
it's because of that, because it just makes such poor sense uh, from everything we know about the character that I think so many people have bought into the idea that uh, that the emperor sort of drained her life force to feed into Anakin to save him and to create Darth Vader. And so uh, and I I don't dislike that theory. Uh, I only take exception when people uh, try to say, well, that's not what happened. She didn't die the set because until they change the canon, that is exactly what happened. Yeah. And that is what I'm taking exception to. Uh, although my poems virtually never criticize uh, the official uh, canon. This is a, a rare circumstance uh, where uh, where I'm speaking uh, a little more from a modern perspective and not taking uh, an in-universe perspective on it. I can definitely appreciate that. And and I definitely appreciate the respect that you give the saga. Uh, and that I know, and I, and I try to do this more now as, as I go on and as I learn and grow, hopefully as a person, I try to to give it that respect and not be as overtly critical as I have been in the past. But I do think it's a good thing to question things. Um, I think as an artist, you know, you, you have to be able to allow that. You have to be able to, in fact, encourage that. Because if, if what you create is not being, to some degree, taken apart and, and, and combed over, you know, that doesn't really give you an opportunity to, to think about it again and, and to maybe create something uh, with a little bit more depth and something that's a little bit more um, emotionally effective. And I, and, and I say that speaking from my own point of view. I, other people may not feel that way, and I, I certainly understand it. But um, again, I, I really appreciate uh, artists and, and creators like yourself that uh, are now pushing that, that positivity and, uh, and the respect that I think Star Wars deserves because, um, you know, even from people that say that they're fans, it's, uh, there is a lot of toxicity and a lot of disrespect out there. So from me to you, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, let me back up and revisit the last step of uh, the poetry forms that I use. So I, I mentioned haiku, and then pretty yeah, quickly yes. I thought, okay, I need to be able to say something a little more extensive. Uh, and I went to Limerick and that seems to still work out okay in the social media format. But after a long time doing haiku and Limerick, I started feeling like I wanted to challenge myself in a new way. And, you know, Dr. Seuss is definitely one of my big uh, influences along with Ogden Nash and Shel Silverstein. You know, I feel like growing up. Oh, yeah. These were people who, you know, loomed a lot larger on the public consciousness. Poets, you know, had a little bit bigger place uh, in our lives uh, when I was a kid. You know, they were a little more, they had a little more rock star status than uh, today. And so uh, I think that, you know, people like Shel Silverstein and Ogden Nash and Dr. Uh, Seuss, you know, had a big impact on me and the kind of poetry that I do. And so I wanted to try to do something in Dr. Seuss's style. And so I had to do a little research and kind of figure out what made, how did he make these poems that sounded a certain way? And so the meter that he used most often was something called anapestic tetrameter, 
which is a little bit of a mouthful, uh, but it really, you can just think, you can just say, oh, he did that poem in Dr. Seuss style, if you like, uh, or if you're trying to impress a date or something, you can you can tell him, oh, I really enjoyed this uh, Star Wars poem on an- uh, using anapestic tetrameter. And push my uh, glasses and, up a little bit. All right. And so uh, anyway, so I started doing a little bit of that. Uh, and the very first one I ever did that way, I really kind of engineered it very carefully and counted every, you know, every beat. And uh, and that was the Mandalorian, which you read kind of as a teaser on at the end of last month's episode. Mm-hmm. And so yep. um, my favorite of all the hundred plus poems that I've done currently uh also is in anapestic tetrameter and the format doesn't lend itself to being quite as short as the haiku and the limerick so i don't use it that often because it's hard to say what you want to say uh as quickly in this uh meter if you will and so uh i kind of really branched out with this poem and created a three uh sort of screen uh, poem where you had to swipe over to get parts two and three and I was a little concerned about that but it seemed to go over well and and it is uh, you know my favorite uh, poem although I have learned from long experience now that the poems that I just uh, that are my dearest uh, creations that I just am bursting to put up because I love them so much uh, often are not the ones that land with the audience uh, as well. And so you really have to learn uh, as a creative that um, what you create and what you love the most may not always be the thing that the public loves the most. And sometimes the thing that you think is a, kind of a throwaway uh, will end up being the thing that uh, just gets uh, an amazing amount of popular Very support. True. And so um, you should not judge your own work too harshly i think uh you know you should put it up and let uh you know let it stand on its own legs and so anyway this uh this particular poem uh is three panels and the very first panel uh has a uh piece of uh great work that uh, just makes me smile every time i see it it's a a loath cat uh, card, a sketch card created by uh, at Maggie underscore ransom. And she was kind enough to share it with me uh, for using in this poem. And then the next two pages show artwork from at the underscore GG Bizzle. Uh, and uh, he actually sent me these cards. I won them in a, uh, a uh, contest. He had nice. a certain number of followers and, you know, he let me pick a topic and uh, he created these cards for me as a prize. Uh, and uh, they worked out great because I was able to use them in this poem. And so the poem is called Communique from the Bridge of the Star Destroyer Intolerance in Orbit over Lothal. It's come to my attention, I'm sad to admit, some troopers are flouting our rules just a bit. It's the matter of loath cats I'm talking about. Yes, I know that they're cute. That was never in doubt. The cooks are all scratching from waves of loath fleas, and the gunners can't shoot straight from their allergies. I get they're a fave of the cat-loving masses, but if Vader finds out, it is all of our asses. By the emperor's robes, what's this new irritation? Just shoot me now.
a womp rat infestation? They are eating our rations and carrying plague. When I wasn't looking, one crawled up my leg. We need a solution, something we can do. Query all the computers and poll the whole crew. I'll admit to misjudging our lovely loath cats. It seems even the smallest spells death to womp rats. I'll induct every loath cat into the empire. There are no better ratters for rent or for hire. <laughs> Thank you. I actually had to mute my mic while you were reading that because it was just like too many giggles. I like that one a lot. And you have a wonderful voice for spoken word poetry, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, one of the things I originally started doing appearances on podcasts, primarily because I was trying to reach audiences maybe that did not realize there were accounts out there on social media that did Star Wars poetry. And hopefully so those people would realize it and follow the account. But uh, I have found it very rewarding to be able to deliver uh, the poetry uh the way I hear it in my head when I read it, the way I hear it when I write it, oftentimes the the struggle of poetry is that when someone's reading it in their head, they may not uh, get the meter quite the same way that you did, and it may not sound as smooth in, in their mind uh, as it does in yours, or the inflection might be in a different place. And so uh, I really enjoy being able to read the poetry where people can hear it the way I hear it uh, without sort of having to put it through their own filter sure. of, of uh, you know, how they might read or pronounce things. And so this is a funny example of uh, one where there's a word that's key to the poem but is pronounced differently by different people. I for forever, I always uh, called these uh, critters uh, loth cats. Uh, but the planet is actually Lothal, and there is places in canon where they where they uh, reference them, and they do. I think where I found it was they called them loth wolves, the wolves that exist on Lothal, and so I knew it was loth. But I made sure that the poem never rhymed the word loth. Uh, so that uh, someone reading it could pronounce it loth or loath, uh, and it would have no effect on the poem itself or the rhyme scheme. So That is actually a really good call. And again, that is one of those things that you might miss out on if you aren't watching Rebels, uh, or have not watched Rebels, I should say. Yes, right. So these cats, uh, not in their loath cat form, but as Tuca, which is just the general Star Wars substitute for cat, basically, uh, existed earlier in the Clone Wars. We see them in a couple episodes. I can recall an episode with Ahsoka and Ventress where a loath cat makes an appearance in the form of a Tuca, more of a just a standard Star Wars house cat or stray. Uh, but uh, we didn't see much of them until we got to Rebels, and they appear. We used to watch, it was our favorite thing about Rebels was seeing the Loath Cats. We'd watch every episode for where the Loath Cat appeared, uh, hoping we would see one. And so uh, anyway, as a uh, veterinarian by training, I tend to have an affinity for the creatures of the Star Wars universe. And so the Loath Cats, the Porgs, 
the gorgs, you know, uh, all of the uh, all of the critters uh, of Star Wars uh, have a special place in my heart. That is one of the amazing things about Star Wars, I think, is just I, I mean, obviously, there are many amazing things to me, uh, but the the richness of the bestiary, I think, is something that uh, makes Star Wars so incredibly unique. Now, I had a, a question for you. In fact, this was going to be at one point a theme for a show that, that I wanted to do. And for various reasons, it never panned out. Uh, and I wanted to ask, what does what does Star Wars mean to you? That's an important question, um, because obviously you've spent a lot of time with Star Wars and, uh, you know, and, and researching it and being entertained by it and loving it. But what does it mean to you? Well, yeah. So, I think that's a great uh, question. I I had never maybe thought about it specifically, uh, kind of focused in on it until you know I knew that we might discuss the theme uh, today. And so I I sat down and tried to tried to kind of qualify it a little bit. And so uh, it means a lot of things. Uh, for one, it's my hobby and it takes up a big chunk of my day on a daily basis to do what I do uh, on three different social media platforms. And so uh, so it's uh, part of my routine in my daily life, to, uh, probably more than any other thing outside of my family is. And uh, it's something that uh, I can enjoy with my kids. Uh, I have two daughters that are teenagers now, but uh, they have been uh, immersed in uh, Star Wars uh, from an early age. And really, Clone Wars did me a solid uh, when they created the Ahsoka character at just the right age to really give my daughters uh, a young female Star Wars character to identify with as she grew and progressed uh, through her life and the Force and her trials and tribulations. Uh, and so it's something that binds us together and that we share as a family it, it, to the extent that it it, in, it informs uh, family trips. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely be going down to uh, Orlando when Galaxy's Edge is fully functional with both attractions running. And uh, recently, uh, my daughter and I drove the 16 hours to Chicago from from where we live in the Triangle area of North Carolina uh, to attend Star Wars Celebration. And that was a real, my younger yeah. daughter and I, and that was a real big deal. And, you know, she uh, we cosplayed together. We experienced uh, the panels and and the convention floor together. We uh, did a um, you know a uh, a photo uh, op opportunity together. We um, we uh, we worked uh, and debuted a brand new uh, cosplay uh, where she did the promotion and handed out the magnets that I had created to promote the star Wars poetry account while I was inside this, uh, incredible cosplay that we debuted at celebration got an immense amount of, uh, attention. Now, and was that so, the porgs on Octo? Yeah, that was the Octo cosplay. And so basically yep. I cosplayed the Island of Octo. Uh, so I look kind of like a, 
uh, a giant rock with uh, legs sticking out the bottom. And uh, I had uh, plush porgs. I had animatronic porgs. I had a porg puppet to interact with people who came up with for photos, all going, you know, porg screaming, flapping their arms, a mother porg in a nest with little porglets on the top of the mountain, which was, in fact, on top of the helmet inside the rock on, on my head. Very and, well. Uh, my done. right arm sticking out of the uh, out of the uh, costume in in disguise uh, so that I could puppet this uh, porg puppet. And I was just got an overwhelming amount of response from the public. There were times that I would look around and I had great field of vision inside this rock because it was made from shade cloth. And because it was fairly close to my face, I could see out very easily and a lot of good air circulation, much better than a lot of the other cosplay I do for the 501st. And so, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, the, sort of the antithesis of being inside a Tuscan Raider uh, where you're looking out through two toilet paper tube size, you know, eye holes and uh, there's no air circulating and you're wearing multiple layers of heavy fabric. And so uh, anyway, so I thought about all those things when I was designing this Octo cosplay. And uh, so I'm inside this thing and my daughter uh, really stepped up and she was going around. Everybody was taking photos. She was saying, you know, hashtag us at Star Wars Poetry and giving out magnets. And she was wearing a porg uh onesie uh so you know she was very thematic and without her out there kind of telling people who we were uh you know it would have been very hard to reap much benefit from having been inside this very popular cosplay it was so popular that after i'd been on the floor for about 15 minutes uh, a very nice young lady from lucasfilm came up and invited me uh, down two giant escalators in the costume, which I had not anticipated, uh, to do a photo shoot for Lucasfilm in a studio they wow. had set up downstairs. Uh, and then uh, I, the Lucasfilm videographer came around a little later and took a little bit of footage. They got put up on, uh, on Twitter on the official Star Wars page, uh, just like an eight-second snip of just my costume uh, in a small post. And it it ended up getting 243,000 views. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, more views than a lot of the stuff they were putting up <laughs> about the Mandalorian, which was also being debuted that day. Uh, That's so, awesome. <laughs> maybe right place, it's right time. <laughs> right. So, I was able to uh, translate a little bit of that into uh, an improved following for Star Wars Poetry on, uh, on Twitter, where uh, I am under at Star Wars Poet. And uh, that was a very nice uh, side uh, benefit of that, which I had not anticipated. And so anyway, so that was a great family uh, bonding experience and shared trip for my uh, daughter and I that, you know, without Star Wars, you know, there's nothing like that would have ever happened. And so it it also gives, you know, I mentioned being a very creative person and, uh, you know, and I've already referenced doing Star Wars cosplay, both for the 501st Legion, where I primarily cosplay uh, ESB Vader. So the Empire Strikes Back version of Darth Vader. And so uh, that Most is impressive. Uh, yeah, it is. A, it's a great costume. Uh, 
uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, you are definitely on stage every second you are in that costume, though. I don't uh, doubt it. You know, you're, it, it, there is a, uh, a lot of work that goes into being the center of attention for hours on end. Uh, and so the, uh, the other area that I uh, kind of express my uh, love of Star Wars is I do a little bit of original Star Wars artwork as well. And so poetry, cosplay, artwork uh, it is all directions uh, of how I express my creativity. So another way then that what Star Wars means to me is it, it is an outlet for uh, a lot of different versions of my creativity and uh, maybe not, definitely not least, uh, it's a pathway uh, for my volunteerism uh, and for having the opportunity to interact with new people uh, and, and really uh, supplying an extended family of uh, friends, both uh, online and through uh, the Carolina Garrison and my friends in the 501st Legion. Uh, but, but, uh, definitely the volunteerism aspect, I wanted to do something, uh, community-based and volunteer-based and, uh, having the chance to do that and to, you know, dress up as a Star Wars character and, you know, visit kids in a hospital or go out, uh, to an event that's raising, uh, money for, um, for vision research or, you know, what have you, uh, is, is a great uh, synergy of what I love sure, doing yeah. and being able to help people, uh, you know, and, you know, I could wish that for anyone, the chance to uh, be able to help others while doing something that they enjoy and uh, that is fun for them. And so that is the, I would say that's the marriage of the best of many worlds. That, that is awesome. And, and I, I would have to second that and agree with you that uh, Star Wars is a is an all-pervading thing. And it makes me wonder also, is there such a thing as a casual Star Wars fan? Do you know any? <laughs> uh, definitely, I do. Yeah. So to, and I think the casual Star Wars fans are just, you know, simply people who enjoy uh, the movies uh, as entertainment. So I my idea of a casual Star Wars fan is usually people who will go to see the movies and, uh, you know, and enjoy them and then go on about their life. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> what? That, just like, just like, uh, you might do with a yeah. diehard movie or, yeah. uh, you know, or, uh, Willow, uh, topical for you, uh, or what have you, you know? And so, uh, I think that, uh, you know, there, the funny thing is, for those of us who can hardly conceive of a casual Star Wars fan is it is the stack casual Star Wars fan that our fandom lives or dies with. Uh, they are they are 90 percent of who is shelling out to see the movies and yeah. who um, therefore make it possible for all these other things to happen uh, and without them, we would have none of this because uh, because 10% of the people who are currently seeing the stuff are are the hardcore fans, and sure, sure. that is not enough to make this worthwhile. From no, Disney's we like to think that so. it is and pretend that it is often, but that is right. not the case. Right. We there tends to be uh, it tends to be kind of a negative, like when people will talk about the casual fan, like you know 
that's a lesser being, uh, when in fact, uh, without them, we get none of this. And so we should be uh, worshiping the ground the casual fan walks on. And that's that's another interesting point uh, that deals with the idea of perspective and how how you when viewing these things are often very mired. And I use that word very specifically and intentionally because it's that point of view that often uh, can fuel certain thoughts and attitudes towards your fandom. Um, so I think you're very right to point that out and, and how almost with your, your poetry, specifically Tauntaun, you do kind of need to take a step behind the curtain and, and examine things a little bit. And it, it might help you out. <laughs> Never Maybe hurts. just a little bit. No, no right. certainly not. Well, we are just about out of time, Curtis. I, uh, there, there are some things that I would definitely like to touch base on, uh, and perhaps we can do that in the future. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I thank you very much for taking the time out of your day and, and doing this with, with us. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that uh, there is enough uh, potential stuff to talk about uh here that uh if you uh have the opportunity and interest uh in doing this again sometime i'm definitely up for it you and bet. Uh, there's uh there's uh now that people kind of know the background on the poetry and how the poetry all works uh we can turn our attentions in other directions although i uh, uh don't be surprised if I uh, work a few poems into the conversation. Oh, no, I would hope that you did. And, <laughs> and just in case people missed it before, where can everyone find you on social media? Ah, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I, uh, at the, I do some pre-recorded uh, Star Wars poems for uh, different outlets. And uh, one uh, podcast in particular uh, has named me the a poet laureate of the show and, <laughs> and plays my poems at the end of every uh, podcast episode. Uh, that is uh, my good friends over uh, at Star Wars Sessions, uh, a couple of uh, very positive, uh, very entertaining uh, Brits and uh, uh, Matt and Luke. And so hats off to them uh, for stepping up and being the first podcast to ever uh, create a uh, recurring poetry segment on a Star Wars podcast. Uh, but at the end of every one of those poems, I tag them all. Uh, so I'm very practiced at saying, uh, find me on Twitter at Star Wars Poet, on Instagram and Facebook at Star Wars Poetry. Always Star Wars, always poetry, always original work, posting daily. I love it. It's you, and again, it's perfect. You, you've got that nailed. <laughs> I've done it a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, excellent. Uh, you guys, be sure and and check out Star Wars poetry. Uh, check them out on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. As, as Curtis just described, you will not regret it. I would imagine some of you, uh, and in fact, a lot of you probably do. Um, but if you haven't, please make sure that you do because it, it's excellent work and uh, and. You know, like we were saying, there's there's so much that you can gain, so many new people uh, that you can meet, so much new artwork to check out. It's it's just wonderful. And and again, Curtis, I I appreciate everything you do, and thank you very much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks again for having me, and uh, make sure uh, you say hey to at Maggie underscore Ransom for me. I absolutely will. Until next time, Curtis. Bye bye. 
What an excellent guest. I'd like to express my gratitude for Curtis taking the time out of his weekend to speak with us and for being such a positive influence in the fan community. I'm also personally grateful to Curtis for rekindling my interest in poetry as that made up a large portion of some of my earlier passions. So once more, thank you, Curtis, for joining us this month. Speaking of passion, I've got a lot of new creative projects in the works, some pertaining to the sleeping giant and others that will hopefully take on a life of their own. Some of you may already be hip to some of those ideas and some of you may have picked up a few of the clues that I've left over the last couple of shows. Either way, I am quite excited for them. All right then, that's our show for this month and I certainly hope that you enjoyed it. Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast, and until next time.